Welcome to the war. This is your host, Adam Graham from Boise, Idaho. Send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, today we conclude our series on the Reluctant Warriors with a play written by one of radio's truly great writers, Arch Obler. Obler was best known for his uh, chilling horror stories, uh, on Lights Out, but he also wrote some great dramatic pieces. He didn't have qu- quite the uh, lyrical sense of a Norman Corwin, uh, but uh, he was chosen by uh, NBC as, uh, to act as somewhat of a counter to Corwin's on CBS and the Columbia Workshop. One difference you may notice in this play is in addition to the anti-war themes, Obler was a uh, an opponent of uh, Nazi Germany and fascism. These rarely uh, made it into plays or writing explicitly. In fact, NBC and most other networks had an official neutrality policy towards Nazi Germany. So we'll see what a difference that makes in the play. So here now, from April the 15th, 1939, uh, four and a half months before the start of the war, is an episode of Arch Obler's play, The Ways of Men, Past, Present, and Future. Arch Obler's Plays On the winds of the night, we bring you a story whispered in the night. Three short plays of the ways of men, past, present, and future. First, the past. The time, one of our yesterdays. The place, the main square of the village. It had once been a tree-circled gathering point for the women and old men to sun themselves. On its clean pavements, the children had played. But now the trees stand charred and broken. Blocks of jagged masonry lie piled in empty disorder. There is no village, only hovels clustering on the edge of great shell-blasted craters. One thing alone rises complete, shining new in the early morning sun, a crudely fashioned statue of a man. And before this statue stand a small boy and a bent old man. The boy speaks. But were there so many people before the trouble, Grandfather? The people? Yes, yes. Hundreds and hundreds of people. The square here would be filled with them of a sunny day. The old ones sitting, the young ones strolling, the children playing. Hundreds, I tell you. Hundreds. And were there many boys like me in the village then? Aye, that there were. Playing their games, marching around and around to the music of the band. Band? Aye, band. Before the trouble... The band that played and told our men they had to fight. Fight whom, Grandfather? Our enemies, of course. Kill or be killed, the poster said. March on the enemy for the glory of the eternal state. Oh, yes. That's what the poster said. All over the town. I... It's as if I hear them now. The band playing here in the square. 
The women talking war talk. The men seizing their guns. Aye, guns. All but one. Jan Pero. And him they hated. Hated. Not afraid of the slow death 
squirming in the mud of a stinking trench with my blood pouring from me like a burning fire. I tell you, I am not afraid to die in battle, my wife. I am afraid that I might not die. Eh? What? I'm afraid that I'd live through this war and uh, come back and see the years go by and watch the next war brewing. Watch my son fed with the lies they are trying to feed me. Watch the new hates growing in those other lands. The hates my rifle had helped shoot into their hearts and minds. That's what I'm afraid of, my wife. That's why I will never fight. That's why I'll never... Jan. Jan, they're coming for you. For... For me? Oh, no. Jan Perot. What? By order of the Emergency Military Tribunal, you are to be executed on the charge of high treason. That execution to take place at once. Jan! Dictate will be our children's war. And when that new war comes, 
It will rain from the sky. A great green choking cloud. It will blot out the village. All men will grovel in burrows beneath the ground with their women like hunted things. The great city, the men will crash. Wolves will howl among the broken things we call our glory. Violence breeds violence, my brothers. There can be no peace, no war. There can be no peace, no war. There can And so he died, young Pharaoh, many years ago. Died against a church wall that was dust long before the day of trouble. The day when all that he said came true and the world went up in flames of hate. But the statue, Grandfather. This statue? Oh, yes. Frederick the Blind and I, we were the only men left in all the village. We made it with our own hands. Look close and read the words, my son. Read. It, it says, To the memory of Jan Pero, the bravest man in all the village. short plays of the ways of men, a story of the present, the scene aboard the U.S. destroyer Liberty somewhere in the Mediterranean. It is dusk. The usual disciplined calm of the battleship has been broken for the past half hour by a minor tragedy of the sea. In the heavy fog, a small fishing skiff had been cut down by the lunging prow of the destroyer. At the moment, the senior officer is making his report to the commandant. From the testimony of the men on deck, that not only was the skiff operating without a foghorn, but she didn't have a light on it either, fore or aft. That's all very well, Lieutenant. But what I want to know is, how about the boy? Oh, he's all right, sir. Not a thing wrong with him. Raising the devil good and proper, that he is, sir. Eh? What do you mean? Well, sir, it's a boat he wants. A boat? Aye, sir, a boat. The minute he hit the deck, he began yelling for a boat in place of the one we ran down. Put him below deck until morning. Oh, but that won't help, sir. It's the baby that's got us worried. Baby? Aye, sir, baby, sir. The one the lad brought with him. Ten or twelve months old is how I rate it. Lieutenant, perhaps you're not aware that I saw the boy brought over the side. He was alone. Aye, sir, alone. But all the time he had this kid, I mean this baby, wrapped up snug under his coat. Didn't know it was there, we didn't. Until all at once he takes it out and starts dressing it in the dry stuff we gave him. Well, I'll be... Aye, sir. Whose baby is it? Who's the boy? What was he doing out here in the fog in a small boat without running lights? Well, that's just it, sir. He won't tell us. Eh? Just keeps yelling for a boat right away, quick. Kid under one arm and waving his fist, yelling to see the captain. It's one hell of a mess, sir. There, sir. Do you hear them? Send him in. Aye, sir. You, boy. The commander will see you. In here. In here. This is him, sir. I mean, them, sir. Very good, Lieutenant. Aye, sir. Come closer, boy. Boy, can't you do something about that that child? 
You are the Capitan, senor. Oh, that's Commander Roberts. Now, that baby, can't you do something about him? Huh? Huh? Quiet, little Kevin. This is the Capitan. He will help us. Quiet, little sister. Well, he... She uh, certainly listens to you. You will listen to me, Capitan. A boat. You will give me a boat. I must have a boat quickly. Do not stand there. All right, boy. That's about enough of that. You'll be taken care of. You mean that, senor? Certainly. Then you will give me a boat now? Boy, try and understand. This is a government ship. I'm sure proper compensation will be made for your loss. The, the words, senor, all of them I do not understand. This I know. A boat. Give me a boat, senor. There is no time. We must go. Stop that. Did you hear me? I said you'd be taken care of, you and your sister. We'll get you back where you belong. Is that clear? A hole in the ground. Eh? A hole in the ground is good enough for me, senor. But my sister, I do not think even you would want that for her. What are you talking about? You said you will take us back where we came from. Well? The bombs made great holes, senor. Where are you from? Aquila. Oh. My sister asks you to. You will give us another boat, senor? Your family? I told you, senor, I told you. Hole in the ground. I'm sorry. Aquila. It's 200 miles from the sea. Battle area. Boy, how did you manage to... You don't mind answering a few questions, do you? Questions? Questions, senor? You ask me? No. I have questions I have wanted to ask for many days. You have gray hair. You are old. They always tell me the old are wise. So now you tell me, senor. What? Senor, why did they die? Oh. Well, uh, it's a war, boy. Uh, uh, difference of ideas. Uh, someday you'll understand. Understand, senor? What is there to understand? Have they understood to milk the cow? Jimenez understood how to make baskets to sell in the marketplace. Teresa, she understands how to beat the clothes white on the stones of the river. Juana, how to take care of her five children. But war, senor. It was so good in our village. The sun so bright, the air so clear. What had we to do with war? Make me understand, senor. Why are they all dead? Well, uh... Civil war, as I said, uh, difference of ideas. Uh, how, how can I explain? My papa tells me many things. He talked to me of a world where men think free and talk free, where, where everyone has his own land, not too much, and men are like brothers. Is this why my papa is dead, senor? Is this why bombs drop from the sky? Boy, listen to me. No, senor. You do not know. You are not wise. No one who is old is wise. I must go. Hey, boat, senor, give me of my boat. Boy. Listen to her, senor. Our village was full of such laughter. Where is it now? Only Maruha and me. But her I take away. To some place where there is nobody old and wise to drop bombs on her. So that's where you were sailing. See, see. We came so far until I found the boat. Then the sea... We were so happy. All at once, your ship, 
so fast. I could not get us out of the way. She is so little, senor. So pretty. When she is afraid, she never cry. Just look at me like she say, Brother, you take good care of me. And I will take it. I will. Give me a boat, senor. Give me a boat. All right, Brian. It'll be all right. Senor? This is your boat. Mine? I'll take you to a place where... where God willing, you and your sister will be safe. You... You know such a place, senor? Yes. We're not so old there... We haven't forgotten that liberty is not a gift, but a victory. Look, senor. She has gone to sleep, my sister. It was because now she knows I can take care of her. Take her outside, boy. The lieutenant will give you a place to sleep. Gracias, senor. You are good. I thought there was no one left who was good. Gracias, senor. Sleep well, boy. Radio room. Make the following addition to message sent to flagship. Quote, in re-skip, run down in fog. There were two survivors, a boy and a baby. We are proceeding on course. We are taking children home. thousand years from tomorrow. <laughs> Excuse me, please. I know it isn't polite. I, ca I can't help it. It's the funniest thing. <laughs> Wait until you hear it. Absolutely the funniest thing. <laughs> Yes, I'll tell you. A hoax. He tried to play a hoax on me, telling me it was an authentic record of their times and expecting me. <laughs> me to believe. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait a moment, wait a moment. I'll start from the beginning. Really, I will. And then you'll laugh with me. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> well, it started like this. An old man comes to my study a little while ago, a package under his arm, and he tells me he's a student of the past. <laughs> Past master of the humbug, that's what he meant. Wait until you hear it. So, so he has this package under his arm, and he says to me breathlessly, Kind sir, I brought you the most wonderful relic of the past the modern world has ever known. Really, I said, what are you talking about, and who are you? He answers, A lonely traveler, one who wanders in far-off places. <laughs> far-off places? And that's what he told me. And so I said, And is this that you are bringing me from one of these far-off places? He nods his head like a strutting rooster. He says, yes, indeed. 
You are the greatest living scholar of the history of the old world. So it is fitting that I bring this to you. Indeed, I said. And what have you got? And where did you find it? He says... I was walking through the mountains beneath which the great city once stood. Well, I said, well, he said... As you know, thousands of years ago, there was another civilization that reached great heights. Yes, I know, I know, I said. Certainly you're not going to teach me history, my ancient friend. He said... Oh, no, no, indeed. I only meant to say what I found high in the mountains. It is a written record of that civilization. The first written record ever to be found. For a moment, I couldn't breathe. I just looked at him. I said, have you gone out of your head with age, old man? I just looked at him. I said, have you gone out of your head with age, old man? Nothing is left of that prehistoric time. First the sea covered them and the dark planet swung close and then the molten rock thrust up. It is only our theory that men had a civilization here before us. For answer, he tore the paper off the package. He said, look, these papers. Reality, I tell you. High in the mountains inside a piece of alabaster that must have protected it from the ravages of time. Miraculously spewed up from the earth when the mountains rose up through the land. Look, sir, and read a record of their time. A record of the ways of men 20,000 years before our civilization came into being. <laughs> yes. Yes, he said that. And I took the book, took it in my hand, and read. For a moment, I almost believed the fraud. Strange formations of letters and strange words and meanings. But clear enough to me. <laughs> clear enough. The cleverest fraud a faker ever tried to perpetrate. <laughs> Now, wait. Let me tell you what was in that historical book. He tried to tell me that he'd found the old humbug. <laughs> Listen to this. First, the book said... Wait until you hear this. First, the book said that the men of that past civilization fought about the land. <laughs> you don't understand what I mean? I mean the world. They fought each other, maimed each other, bled each other over who owned what pieces of the world. Did you ever hear such nonsense? They knew how large the world was, and they knew how many men were in it. But instead of dividing it up fairly, or all owning together as one, they fought each other. <laughs> yes, bloody wars for years and years. Did you ever hear such humbug history? <laughs> <laughs> and that isn't all. The book said that they fought each other over race. Yes, race, race. The book says the word means the difference between men. And then the book said that all men have the same origin. And yet, <laughs> they killed each other over a difference they admitted didn't even exist. <laughs> oh, what a fraud, that book. <laughs> and a man walked that world for a little while who said, For the glory of God, peace on earth. And he spoke truth. And men listened and said, We believe. <laughs> and men went out to murder with bright music playing. Music, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and then a little man arose who said, For the glory of the state, war on earth. And he spoke lies. 
And men knew there were lies, and he knew they knew. But again, they went out to murder with the music playing. <laughs> and here's the funniest. Other men saw what was happening. <laughs> and they said, <laughs> let them kill. It is not to our interest. <laughs> and the flame of murder came closer. And still they said, it is not our interest. <laughs> As if the house were afire, and they said, we will not use water until we ourselves are burning. <laughs> and here's the climax. The preposterous book said that these, <laughs> these crazy people who filled the earth in those days had machines. Machines with which to fly through the air. Yes, really, through the air. <laughs> But imagine the wonder if it were true, speeding through the air like the birds' great glistening machines to carry men to new wonders. <laughs> Guess what the front of the book said they did with him. <laughs> I can hold your sides when you hear this. They loaded them up with horrible tearing things and flew up over the crowded places <laughs> and dropped them. Yes, believe me. <laughs> the humbug history tried to make me believe that was the truth. They struggled for centuries. Men studied, toiled. Rivers of heartache, said the book, trying to make a healthier world for their children to live in. And then they threw poison clouds down from the sky and killed them off in tens of thousands. <laughs> killed the children. <laughs> fantasy with Mr. Martin Gable. Arch Obler's Plays. Obler's plays are presentations of the National Broadcasting Company, RCA Building, Radio City, New York. Welcome back. The one thing, to be honest, as I listened to the play that I really did not get was the uh, future historian being the one to do the uh, laughing. That seemed... Um, 
unrealistic as people who study history are generally used to societies being different from them. But I think Obler got home his point regarding uh, war and how it would look to more enlightened people of the future. And of course, the there was a very uh, light reference to apathy towards what was going on in Germany. So we've listened to, I, I think, some fairly representative samples of a lot of the uh, plays and stories in the West that uh, dominated the pre-war era. It's safe to say that no one was real, uh, in the West was really anxious to, uh, for war. Even among people who were uh, aware of the threat of Hitler, they were solidly against war. And there were far more people who would rather shut their eyes to the threat of Hitler. And this was true on both sides of the Atlantic throughout the 1930s. In the United States, comedian Eddie Cantor spoke out uh, against Nazi Germany and had to fight to stay on the air as sponsors, desperate to avoid being associated with controversy, tried to back out of uh, their contract to Cantor. In the UK, Winston Churchill spent most of the 1930s as a bit of a pariah and an outcast, relegated to a lesser role as he warned about the dangers of the rise of Nazi Germany, as he does in this eerily prophetic speech that aired over the BBC on November 16, 1934, where he also addresses this whole uh, issue of the anti-war uh, programming we've been hearing over the last few days. Many people think that the best way to escape war is to dwell upon its horrors and to imprint them vividly upon the minds of the younger generation. They flaunt the grisly photographs before their eyes. They fill their ears with tales of carnage. They dilate upon the ineptitude of generals and admirals. They denounce the crime and insensate folly of human strife. Now all this teaching ought to be very useful in preventing us from attacking or invading any other country, if anyone outside a madhouse wished to do so. But how would it help us if we were attacked or invaded ourselves? That is the question we have to ask. Would the invaders consent to visit Lord Beaverbrook's exhibition or listen to the impassioned appeals of Mr. Lloyd George? Would they agree to meet that famous South African, General Smuts, and have their inferiority complex removed in friendly, reasonable debate? I doubt it. I have borne responsibility for the safety of this country in grievous times. I gravely doubt it. But even if they did, I'm not so sure we should convince them and persuade them to go back quietly home. They might say, it seems to me, you are rich, we are poor, you seem well fed, we are hungry, you have been victorious, we have been defeated, you have valuable colonies, we have none, you have your navy, where is ours? You have had the past, let us have the future. Above all, I fear, they would say, 
You are weak, and we are strong. After all, my friends, only a few hours away by air, there dwells a nation of nearly 70 millions of the most educated, industrious, scientific, disciplined people in the world who are being taught from childhood to think of war as a glorious exercise and death in battle as the noblest fate for man. There is a nation which has abandoned all its liberties in order to augment its collective strength. There is a nation which with all its strength and virtue is in the grip of a group of ruthless men preaching a gospel of intolerance and racial pride unrestrained by law, by parliament, or by public opinion. In that country, all pacifist speeches, all morbid war books are forbidden or suppressed and their authors rigorously imprisoned. From their new table of commandments, they have omitted, thou shalt not kill. It is but 20 years since these neighbors of ours fought almost the whole world and almost defeated them. Now they are rearming with the utmost speed. And ready to their hands is this new lamentable weapon of the air, against which our navy is no defense, and before which women and children, the weak and frail, the pacifist and the jingo, the warrior and the civilian, the frontline trenches and the cottage home, all lie in equal and impartial peril. Nay, worse still, for with the new weapon has come a new method, or rather has come back the most brutish methods of ancient barbarism, namely the possibility of compelling the submission of races by terrorizing and torturing their civil population. And worst of all, the more civilized the country is, the larger and more splendid its cities, the more intricate the structure of its social and economic life, the more is it vulnerable, the more is it at the mercy of those who may make it their prey. Now these are facts, hard, grim, indisputable facts. And in face of these facts, I ask again, what are we to do? Welcome back. I think Churchill really provides some food for thought and context to some of what we've heard. As I've listened to some of these programs, particularly today's uh, Arch Obler's uh, play, it occurred to me that the audience that needed to hear the play was the one not listening to the play. Uh, for example, in the first uh, scene of uh, today's play, in the past... Clearly, the character and setting is uh, German or Austrian and meant to address the, uh, the citizens serve under the Third Reich, who obviously were not listening to this program. And what Churchill said about these sort of uh, materials being banned was absolutely true. Under Hitler, Germany banned uh, All Quiet on the Western Hunt as well as other anti-war books, and also Italy. You could not legally get a copy of Farewell to, uh, Farewell to Arms until the, f the fall of the fascist government in that country. After the events of the First World War, 
those who lived through it and experienced it, had little interest in sending their sons off to war to be uh, cannon fodder in a total war with machine guns and barbed wire and war from the air. The great advantage of Nazi Germany in the early goings. And what Hitler had to depend on was that reluctance and the fact that he did not share it. And that really leaves us, I guess, with a quandary that exists to this day. Free and sane people will seek to avoid war. But what do you do with the fanatics? How do you deal with people who are willing and have no compunction about sending people off to be slaughtered in order to achieve whatever cause they're going for? That is a question that haunts us to this day. In the 1930s, Hitler used this to great advantage. And the free nations of Western Europe didn't engage him until they had no other choice. And for the U.S., it took a bit longer. We'll take a look, starting next week, at those who educated America about what was going on in Europe. And those who took their own, sometimes tentative, strikes at the Nazi government before the U.S. officially entered the war. I hope you'll be back with us next week for this program. On a personal note, I have to say that uh, these first week of programs have been difficult to listen to, difficult to host, often uh, very uh, emotional and... Um, Challenging. A few I've had to bite my tongue on uh, longer comments on, but I hope uh, you'll continue to listen. It's not always going to be this heavy. There was a lot of great music and comedy and uh, so, and a lot of uh, inspiring heroism in the course of the war. I think it was important to do this week of programs just so we understood um, where our uh, grandparents and great-grandparents were coming from when this whole thing got started. I thank everyone so much for listening. I'll see you back here on Monday. If you would like to share your experience or that of a loved one during World War II, please email your stories to box13 at greatdetectives.net. We'll consider all stories to be shared on the air. We also welcome your suggestion as to future programs. This program is dedicated to those who fought and died in World War II and is presented as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net. The opening theme is The Heroic by Ken Curlin, kencurlin.com.